Welcome to the Grand Rapids Local History Podcast. I'm Matthew Ellis. I'm Jessica Kroll. And I'm Travis. Uh, today we are going to be talking about the ever-so-relevant topic of women's history, women's suffrage, and farmer's markets. It's Women's History Month this month, so why not? Yeah, n- not only is it Women's History Month, it is the um, 100-year anniversary of the 19th Amendment, the women's right to vote. Can I ask a, a, just a basic question? Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never known what the history of the word suffrage means, right? Uh, do you know anything about I, it? I do not. I'm, I'm not sure the etymology of uh, of that word. I was going to use that word, yeah. but I always get entomology, which <laughs> entomology is the study of, of bugs, yeah. and etymology, the study of words. I get that confused, <laughs> so I try not to use it. Um, I'm quickly looking up the history, but there's different origins from all over the world, and it's mostly just talking about suffrage itself and not the actual word suffrage. Okay. Well, I uh, I definitely started us out with uh, nothing, tough, a tough nothing question. <laughs> it sounds, it, it looks like it's just the right or privilege of voting huh. or the exercise of such a right. And um, Latin, okay, uh, from Latin, the right to vote from, uh, I would need your history in uh, Latin to oh, interesting to know that word. So I'm not going to pronounce it, uh, Matthew, but okay. Oh, wait, but it originally meant a voting tablet or a ballot. What internet are you oh, using? Oh, interesting. That's incredible. Um, Google. Okay. <laughs> okay. So it comes from the Latin suffragium, which initially meant a voting tablet, a ballot, a vote, or the right to vote. Oh, very cool. I, I, there's something about the internet. It's just Wikipedia, so it could be very wrong. I bet you it's right. Yeah. My Latin teacher is very disappointed in me. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got that covered. Um, that was my main question. Well, I don't know much about local, like, Grand Rapids suffrage Mm -hmm. or um, movements like that. I know what I learned in my U.S. history class in 10th grade, which, um, and then a little bit of research this morning because it's been almost a decade (laughs) since I took that class. Um, So I, I don't think that I knew this, but before 1776, women in several colonies actually had the right to vote, but every state constitution denied even limited suffrage by 1807. So I thought that was really interesting that that right got taken away. Yeah. I, I think it was the kind of the early, early settling of the colonies. Everybody had to be part of the discussion. And then as, as soon as state constitutions were being written and enacted, it kind of codified the the land-owning aspect of voting, that early land-owning aspect. And then over time, it was given to all white men. Uh, then they were able to vote. Um, then it was the 15th Amendment that gave um, African-American men the right to vote. And so it took quite a while for women to be a part of that conversation, right. be a part, part of that uh, civic process. And so from 1807 to August 26, 1920, which is when the 19th Amendment was officially adopted, mm-hmm. um, on a federal level, women didn't have the right to vote. Um, and the 19th Amendment is, uh, it states, it prohibits the states and federal government from denying the right to vote to citizens of the United States on the basis of sex. So, uh, Right now, we're, we're nearing the 100-year anniversary of women's suffrage and the 
adoption mm-hmm. of that amendment. Kentucky was actually one of the earlier earlier states. Some some states enacted um, kind of local uh, suffrage laws. Um, so Kentucky in 1838 passed a kind of rural voting law that said that women in rural areas could vote uh, in elections if the election decided taxes or school boards. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Interesting. But Wyoming was actually the first state uh, when it became a territory to grant widespread voting rights to women. Okay. Continuing on more of a wide-scale base, and I'm almost done with this, and then we can move into local history. There are some names that I think a lot of people will recognize, and I might pronounce one of them wrong. Lucretia Mott, um, she organized the Seneca Falls Convention, which Mm -hmm. was the first women's rights convention. Um, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who also organized the Seneca Falls Convention. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's Susan B. Anthony, and then there's Lucy Stone. Mm -hmm. And then March is Women's History Month since the year 1987. It's been in practice every year. International Women's Day is March 8th, and then every year for Women's History Month, there is a different theme. And this year's theme I found is Valiant Woman of the Vote, which is, uh, you know, very relevant since it is the 100th year. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. And that uh, Seneca Falls um, convention was in 1848. So why don't we hop into um, Michigan history and Grand Rapids history? So, So Michigan history kind of started in the 1870s in regards to women's suffrage. Uh, the Michigan State Women Woman Suffrage Association was founded in Battle Creek in 1870, um, and that pushed for a Michigan was deciding a suffrage amendment to its um, constitution to put a vote to the people, and that was in 1874. And also in 1874, the Grand Rapids Women's uh, Women Suffrage Association was founded, and that was organized uh, at uh, Luce's Hall which was on the corner of Monroe and Ottawa, kind of where the the art museum area is now, Rosa Parks Circle Art Museum. And one of the uh, proponents of that was Judge Solomon L. Withy. He was the uh, president of the, the first president of that organization. And his wife was instrumental in starting Mary Freebed. Um, so I thought that was a unique connection to is, a, yeah. a women's organization. And so the the Grand Rapids Women Suffrage Association kind of had debates. They they hosted debates at Luce's Hall, uh, where they would invite critics to come and say why they were against women's suffrage, why they were for it, and kind of have a dialogue. And that is when. Um, Susan B. Anthony actually came to Grand Rapids and spoke uh, twice for this statewide vote. Um, she came in September of 1874 and October. The 1874 amendment uh, didn't pass. Uh, it, the people voted it down um, by a pretty substantial margin, unfortunately. And then at that time, all of the associations kind of disbanded for a while. They, they picked it back up um, later on in the 1880s and the 1890s. The Equal Suffrage Association of Michigan was founded in 1884, and they were pretty instrumental in supporting suffrage movements and kind of coordinating the local movements. The In 1883, the Grand Rapids Women's Suffrage Association was kind of refounded, and one of the organizers of that was Lorraine Pratt Immen, and she was the, the first president, and she... Um, is the reason we have the busts in uh, Veterans Memorial Park and the 
Abraham Lincoln bust in Lincoln Place Park. Oh, cool. Uh, right by the Calkins Law Office. So she was a really, really influential civic leader um, in those early days, did a lot of fundraising for, for local local areas. One of the one of the first suffrage movements, they they tackled it in in different ways. So they they first went after um, or tried to get the vote for school suffrage. So voting on school board issues, local um, women leaders were really influential in the PTA. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, parent teacher associations were originally called mothers clubs. And they would kind of raise money for the school. Right now, uh, we always think of like underfunded funded teachers, and they have to buy their own school supplies and stuff. Right. Um, but back then, the the mothers' clubs would raise money for supplies. They would petition the school board to build new buildings. Uh, so Creston High School was one of those buildings where they they petitioned the school board to get a, a new building because the area was growing. And so those uh, early PTAs were really influential, and the women on those PTAs saw that the school board was an area where they could first get the, the right to vote. That's really interesting, and I don't want to get like too far into the whole feminism thing, but that they were called mothers' clubs, <laughs> and that you know it's still mostly a male-dominated yeah, thing now, yeah. so that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. One, one thing I also found interesting, you were talking about uh, schools and, and how basically, for lack of a better descriptor, uh, parents were, were involved in fundraising mm-hmm. for schools. Um, I'm not sure it's great that we've kind of come full circle in that regard, um, but I also think it's, it's fascinating how it, an opportunity was seen and, and from there progress was made. I think that's mm-hmm. really fascinating how folks saw their window of opportunity and got involved. And again, Creston's still there. It's still right, a yeah, school. Yeah. It's had maybe three remodels since then. Mm-hmm. Um, but but what a legacy for people right. to, to advocate for and to say, hey, this is going to make a difference in our in our community, in our neighborhood, and, and uh, we're going to do what we can to make our voices heard to the extent that we can. I think yeah. that, that persistence is incredible. And and I and I think it drew the community closer together when they have when they fight for those common goals and they have uh, a very solid goal of getting a building funded um fighting for that together um yeah makes a lot of sense yeah yeah i agree one of the more uh prominent local suffrage uh leaders here in grand rapids was emily burton ketchum um, and she was instrumental in the founding of the Grand, Rap- Grand Rapids Women's Suffrage Association here in the city. But she was also elected um, to treasurer of the Equal Suffrage Association of Michigan uh, in 1887. And she uh, would travel to different places. She went to Boston to exhibit a suffrage quilt that the local suffrage leaders in Grand Rapids had, had made that had all of the names of the suffrage supporters in Grand Rapids. Um, I thought that was a really interesting tidbit. That is cool. Showing some solidarity. Yeah. I like that. I pulled up a thing from the Grand Rapids Women's History Council website, mm-hmm. and it it looks like she traveled with Susan B. Anthony often. Oh, wow. um, it says uh, Anthony and Stanton traveled throughout Michigan visiting many cities, including Frankfurt, Manistee, Ludington, and Grand Rapids, and 
leaving their newly formed suffrage associations in their wake. That would make sense. What what I find interesting is uh, just the, the geographical distance. Frankfurt, yeah. MSD, yeah. those are not to this day big towns. Right, but, right. Uh, contextually, uh, Matthew, do you know, I suppose the lumber boom was maybe just petering out at that point, in which case it might have made a lot of sense to hit up some lakeshore communities. They would have been the population centers. Yeah, and and I think the labor or the, the lumber um, boom was still happening. I, I think it, it lasted well into the early uh, 1900s. So while we think of uh, maybe Frankfurt today as just a sleepy town, yeah, it was less sleepy. And up, up north in Manistee, all, all that area, and... In the Upper Peninsula, those those log shoots on uh, Lake Superior. What? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's a log shoot? Oh, it, over by Pictured Rocks mm-hmm. and the Sable Dunes, they have like almost it's almost like a vertical drop in the dunes where they would throw the logs down and then they would go into Lake Superior and then from Lake Superior they would maneuver them around down into Lake Michigan. Pretty down the, down the coast. self-explanatory there. Yeah, Thanks. yeah. Thank you for, yeah. But, for pandering, yeah. answering my question. Painted that uh, word picture for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but it, 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 it's a big it's a big vertical drop. I, I was up there a couple of years ago and it was pretty cool. That's terrifying, <laughs> honestly. I, I guarantee that no one got hurt and there were no injuries. So if that <laughs> makes you feel any better. Travis, a stamp of approval. Folks were very, very safety conscious back then. So. <laughs> There was a there was a few other um, suffrage um, groups in the in the city. There was an equal suffrage club. There was a few different clubs that met to kind of promote uh, the suffrage movement. One one thing that I thought was really interesting was Emily Burton Ketchum when she was traveling around talking to people about suffrage and promoting suffrage. She went to the Congress of Women at the Chicago World's Fair and gave a, a pretty important speech titled Are Women Citizens and People? There was a, a she kind of laid out an argument stating if the 15th Amendment says that the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged, then it follows that the Constitution thinks of women not as citizens, then they shouldn't have the same duties and requirements as citizens, such as taxation or penalties. Um, And so she was kind of making a kind of more logical argument based on the Constitution. And so that was one of the ways that people built off of the 15th Amendment to promote the the 19th Amendment. And I thought that was a really interesting uh, speech that she gave. That is interesting. The way uh, people's minds work, I think, is fascinating. And, and, and mm-hmm. you say, well, if this is the case, then this also must be the case, which yeah. no one's going to want less people paying taxes, right? Right, right. Maybe we'll rethink that. And it was kind of a heartfelt uh, call to people who who like to say the no taxation without representation uh, kind of argument that the founders used. So That's a good point. Jess, you're a, you're a voter. I am a voter. Is that correct? I am. Does it mean anything specific or special to you? To me, uh, obviously, I I speak with a certain uh, degree of, of privilege in, in that I am a white male, and, and I will recognize that on occasion, probably not as often as I should, but it certainly does. Discussions like this kind of make me realize that, that <laughs> A, we've done a lot of great things in the world, but B, we've done a lot of terrible and not great things in the world. 
Is there anything that comes to mind when, when you talk or think about voting? I think that it's something that myself and maybe a lot of other women take for take for granted. We don't really sit and think about, hey, it was actually pretty recent history that women could not vote for the president of this country. And with this election coming up, it, you know, it kind of it kind of irks me when my friends are like, no, I don't think I'm going to vote. I'm not going to vote in the primaries. Uh, maybe I'll vote in the in the November election if the candidate that I want is elected to that ballot. So it's, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's hard to put into words how you feel when you vote, I guess, because, you know, it is, it's liberating. Not everybody in this world has that opportunity mm-hmm. to do it. So um, it's a really cool feeling knowing that, yeah, I, I do have that privilege now. I mean, I've always had that privilege since I turned 18. Like I said, it, it just kind of, it doesn't feel right when somebody has the right to vote and then they don't use that practice mm-hmm. to their advantage. It's, to yeah. me, it's almost like where you have a, a, a construction project in Michigan, which we're probably all much more familiar about <laughs> that than, than uh, suffrage, but uh, the lane's closed for, for a year and, and you're irritated. And then the lane opens up and in six days, you forget that that lane was closed and what a, an inconvenience it mm-hmm. was. And I, 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 like I said, I try to appreciate or at least think about some of that historical perspective, which uh, I, I appreciate. It's, it's, it's interesting to me. I am thankful every day that the bridge over the Grand River at the Ionia on-ramp for westbound 196 <laughs> is now open. Perspective. <laughs> Perspective. Yeah, it, when I was researching this, it, I, I found it very startling that we have such low voter turnout levels mm-hmm. today. But in 1921, the first presidential election that women were allowed to vote in countrywide, they had like... Fifty percent voter turnout at sixty percent. It was it was just such high numbers that that we just don't see today. And certainly, the country is is there are several other countries that have significantly higher voter turnout, mm-hmm. but but also some of it's mandated where you say you have to vote, right, right, or you're fined. And um, you know, I don't know that that's the solution here, but hopefully, you know, conversations like this will will make folks think a little harder before not voting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I read something about that the other day and that people, uh, one of the reasons that people don't vote is because they think that whoever the elected candidate is, it's not going to have an impact on them. Mm-hmm. But the people who are saying this are, you know, white male voters, female white voters. But the truth is, is that, you know, it affects everybody. There are things passed in Congress mm-hmm. every day, whether it be at a state level or a federal level, that will affect you at some oh, yeah. point. And I, I don't, I can't wrap my head around why mm-hmm. people won't vote for that reason. There's, I've, I've been uh, researching um, the concept of trust in government uh, for a class I'm taking. And there's there's some evidence that shows that voter turnout levels decrease the more that trust in government decreases. So if people don't think that either the the process is fair or the they're receiving the services they, that they like or that they think that they should get, that they won't vote. Um, and so I don't know what uh, the remedy for that situation would be except for better customer service mm-hmm. and to try and repair that public perception of government as uh, there for the people. And um, That's really interesting. And yeah. it's the exact opposite of what I would have imagined yeah, would yeah. happen. In the past, I had a friend whose, whose parents voted the opposite. So they always canceled each other's votes <laughs> out. 
but they always voted and, and uh, that kind of stuck with me. At least you feel like you can do something. I know it's not perfect. It's not ideal. There are a lot of flaws and certainly the area is, is open to critiques and I still feel like this is important. This is important to do much more so those who maybe haven't been able to vote or who have mm-hmm. been disenfranchised historically. Yeah, yeah I definitely agree. The Michigan put forward a few other attempts to have a statewide vote for a suffrage amendment. None of them really, really amounted to much. There was one that they thought had had passed, but after a large amount of recounting, there was recounting even in Kent County, uh, a few other counties, that they, they found that they lost by about 5,000 votes. So it, it wasn't until the early 1900s that, that Michigan got the right to vote uh, statewide. They had a vote in uh, 1918, and at, by this time there was a lot more support for it. Um, a lot of Grand Rapids clergymen uh, came out to vote. A lot of the clergy uh, endorsed suffrage. Uh, I found that uh, the Catholic bishops in the area uh, were in favor, the Episcopal bishop, um, and the Christian Reformed uh, Church pastors, which was majorly important because there was a lot of Christian Reformed churches in the area, and historically they had been opposed to suffrage. So once they turned around and supported it in the nineteen in 1918, that's really when it when it started moving ahead. In 1917, right before that, the Grand Rapids Equal Franchise Club sent President Woodrow Wilson a telegraph about suffrage. Uh, World War One had recently started, and women were starting to do more war work. Men were overseas, and so the Grand Rapids Equal Franchise Club asked Woodrow Wilson to grant women suffrage as a war measure, but uh, he, he did not do that. Um, but personally, Wilson was in favor of suffrage, but he was adamant that it stay a state uh, issue. But in um, 1918, Michigan put forward a state vote, and it passed. Um, and so in 1918, uh, Michigan became one of the states that allowed uh, women's suffrage. Um, and then shortly after that, the 19th Amendment was, was passed. I just found another little timeline under the category that you were just talking about on the uh, Women's History Council website, and there was a suffrage school in Grand Rapids in 1917. The Michigan Equal Suffrage Association hosted a four-day training course called a suffrage school for Grand Rapids suffrage workers. Yeah, yeah, they were they were trying to um, teach teach people about suffrage uh, and how to promote it, and trying trying to get the word out to people both about voting in favor of suffrage, but also uh, about new rights under suffrage. You know, they women historically hadn't had to go to the polls. They hadn't had to caucus or anything. They didn't know the process except for school boards at that time. And so there, were, there was a big push to go house to house to teach people about their new, new rights and it struck me that in 1917, uh, Michigan was getting some statewide movement on uh, on this topic, and uh, I was curious. The, the governor was Woodbridge Nathan Ferris, who founded um, basically what is now Ferris State University. And uh, I've always been really impressed with with his history, how he he founded this university, this institute based on 
the the premise that everyone could get education african-american mm-hmm. people who were there um, because of the lumber industry women um, he welcomed everyone he and his wife Helen to me it's not surprising or coincidental that w- during his term as governor um, this was kind of moved forward mm-hmm. on, a, on a statewide basis he he truly was what I feel um, someone who believed in equality yeah sounds sounds like it very well could be that the suffrage movement wouldn't have been passed at that time if it weren't for a supportive governor. The um, 19th Amendment in 1919 went before the uh, House and Senate, and the House passed the amendment 304 votes to 89, but the Senate only passed the amendment by two votes over the needed two-thirds. And six days, within six days of it being passed by uh, those chambers, Michigan was one of the first three states to ratify it. And so we were, we were really ahead of the curve on, on that. Do we know those, those states, that, or the two states that did not vote for it? Or, the, or it only uh, passed two by votes. two votes? Uh, I'm not sure. Shame those folks. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Posthum- I'm not sure. Posthumously, more than likely. Yeah. We know the um, 30, by, by 1920, um, when, when Tennessee was the last state to ratify it, there was um, 35 states had already approved it, but seven states had rejected it. That was my and, next question. Yeah, I know there weren't yeah, a full 50 states yeah. there. So. And, and most, the, the seven that did reject it were mostly southern states. Okay. Yeah, and five uh, were abstaining. They, they weren't going to bring it to the floor. They weren't going to have a vote on it. Um, so if Tennessee hadn't tipped the scales in 1920, then it, it could have been years before another state would have brought it up. Um, it likely would have put a put a serious end to to the movement. Wow! Um, and it was it was a 23 year old Harry T. Byrne who was in the Tennessee legislature that cast the tie breaking vote. The there's a there's a story that goes his grandmother convinced him to to break the tie breaking vote. <laughs> Grandmothers, um, yeah, <laughs> they are something else. They're they're convincing. And uh, Eva McCall Hamilton uh, was the first. Michigan, uh, uh, Michigan woman, to be elected to uh, the Michigan legislature, and she was uh, very influential within Grand Rapids. There was a um, a suffrage float in uh, 1910 that they they had like a parade of some sort. Uh, they called it a homecoming parade, but I don't know. If I when I heard it, I was like homecoming for World War One, homecoming for what? But I, I wasn't sure what uh, the homecoming parade was was for, but there was a, a float that uh, had the sign votes for women on the side, and Eva McCall Hamilton was at the, the head of the float, and she was holding the reins of the horses, and then she was uh, the first woman uh, elected to serve in the state legislature. And she was, she's from Grand Rapids and uh, was very influential in local civic engagements as well. She was very influential in starting the early farmers markets. So Fulton Street Farmer's Market is, is due in large part to her, and we still have that today. That's, that's, that's re- a remarkable. A, a lasting monument to Was her. she involved in uh, any of the school boards that you know of? I, I didn't find or, any evidence of that. She had but plenty of other things to keep herself yeah, occupied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, was, she was doing She kept good. herself busy. Right. But I'm, I'm sure she would have been involved in some way, either in the school board itself or the, the local PTAs. Each, each school has had its own uh, local PTA that had, some had upwards of like 30 members. 
and so there was there's bound to be a lot of these these folks serving. That's a really unique connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it everyone knows the Fal- the Fulton Street. Yeah, yeah. Uh, farmers market. It, it's, my, it's still my very grandfather today. took my dad there yeah. for years. <laughs> yeah, I'm not too far yeah. from their home. We have we have some cool photos that uh, show when it was just like just a dirt hill and like little wooden makeshift stands on the side. Uh, pretty much nothing else around it, but a few houses in the background that are still there today, and so you can match it up with the with the houses that are there. And now it has uh, a backwards roof, which is a, a huge a improvement. Backwards. Uh, I just feel like the inverted roof oh. is that's my personal preference. <laughs> I think roofs should point downward. Yeah. Upward. That's just me. I didn't know people had strong opinions on roofs. Mm, I think that this would be a topic that would generate some opinions. Roofs so, in Grand Rapids. Uh, yeah. So go ahead and send us an email yeah. at <laughs> podcast yeah. at gmail.com. Show us your most hated roofs. Well, I think it would mostly be just the Fulton yeah. Street Market roof. I've it's never just, been to the Fulton Street Market. It's You've backward. never been? It's no. backwards. Did it catch water? I was going to say there may be some great reasons. Yeah. There may be some great reasons. I'm not aware of them. Um, I don't either. So hopefully we'll be in We're going to say there's not, and it's just a bad yeah. roof. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> terrible roof. What do you mean it's backwards? It looks slanted like normal to me. No, that's not a great picture. Okay. Um. <laughs> there is a small chance that I'm wrong. Let me look into this. Okay. <laughs> um, so while Travis is Googling for roofs, <laughs> um, Hamilton, uh, when she died in 1948, she was 70, 75. She was still the first and only woman to serve in the Michigan State Senate. Mm. And she has also, well, this article was written in 2011, she remains the only woman to have represented Grand Rapids in the state Senate. Now we have the, the second um, Grand Rapids representative, who is now Winnie Brinks. Mm. I don't trust the images that are being pulled up, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at this. <laughs> they look like normal roofs to me. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull up the street view. Google would not lie to us. Okay, so here's my point, and it's, it's, it's minutia by any stretch of the imagination. But the edge there, that's like to me, that's not how roofs work. It's just a thing on both edges. So it's like a triangle and With then flat, flat little legs. feet. Yeah, and I just, there may be a purpose. I'll bet you Matthew's right. It, I'm sure <laughs> that they send water somewhere to keep the veggies fresh. Yeah. yeah. In which case, well played. Well played, Fulton Street Farmers Market. I retract my <laughs> roof well, complaint. Well, okay. So I don't know what angle this photo was taken at since I've never been there, but. This is an interesting look at it where it looks like half the roof is slanted. So I guess you might Thank be you. right. Oh, yeah. I re-retract <laughs> my statement and I still am not a fan of the roof. But but it's pretty remarkable. That yeah, it's been around for, for quite a while. And its history is rich. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Matthew. We would have, I would have never known that. Yeah, yeah. It's a little known, little known fact. So we can all agree that the roof is a little weird. It's a little weird. Okay. Maybe I'll drive by it later and <laughs> scope it out. There was there was some other uh, farmers markets, early farmers markets in town as well that Eva McCall Hamilton was influential on. There was one over by um, Leonard, right next to the the northeast side of Leonard, right after the Grand River. I'm not sure what's there now. In but, in uh, on ramp in a, a Napa store. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that was a that yeah. was a big farmers market. Nice. And there was a, a city market on the on the on one of the islands 
um, on one of the islands. Oh yeah, yeah. Before it was dug out. Yeah. Well, well, this this island was filled in. So this it's it's kind of where the city salt. Uh, the railroad bridge that comes yeah. across it. Oh, yeah. uh, the city one. So we're yeah. further down on by two hundred one market. Yeah, but yeah. Okay. Pretty pretty much okay. two hundred one market is where the yeah about about there, um, maybe a little north of that. But yeah, there was a big. Uh, it was called the wholesale market, and people would would bring all their goods and sell them there. Um, Very convenient, especially yeah. if you're coming from out of town. Oh yeah, yeah. We have we have a lot of cool uh, photos of like horse drawn carriages all lined up. Uh, People selling things out of the back. Nice. Yeah, there was there was a few other uh, farmers markets too. There was one on East Leonard, um, kind of modeled after the the Fulton Street Farmers Market, but that one isn't isn't still there. I mean, even fifty years ago, that was very rural. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. I mean, how far east on Fulton are we talking? Oh, not not super far east. Okay. Okay, because I know that yeah. just just but on the uh, other side of the Grand River, there were some like the last spot for housing yeah. before you get into the big city of Grand oh, yeah. Rapids, and folks would stop there for the night. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was definitely outside. They would consider it. I, I found a uh, mugshot photo, and the entry said "highway robbery," but he was on Leonard, like pretty close to that area. That's great. And so they considered it a highway, like a like outside the city type of. Is the type of area? Is that book digitized yet? Can we see those we online? We have, yeah. So we have 1928 and half of 1929 fully digitized and online. Where where are those located? Uh, those are at the website's kind of long, so I apologize, but it's um, Grand Rapids, Michigan City Archives dot Omeka dot net. Um, okay, can you yeah. spell it for me? Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, the, <laughs> just kidding. The Michigan part is M I, so it's Grand Rapids M I cityarchives.omeka.net. We have a ton of stuff up there too. And it's it's been fun. Anytime you mention the, the I'm sure that's what's most mentioned, but the uh, the mugshots book is just terrific and Yeah. It, yeah. Everyone in that mugshots book is better dressed than anyone right. today. Oh, yeah. And those were just average yeah. ones. Well, well, the 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 thing was is that arrests worked completely different back then. They would issue an arrest and then it was up to the perpetrator to come into the station so they would put out a notice like you're going to be arrested please come down to the police department <laughs> better dress up yeah yeah and so the, so they would they would put on their sunday bests to to go some of them were arrested on the spot like um we have a few photos of people who were arrested for like drunk driving where they clearly were not in their sunday best <laughs> and had like bandages around their heads and stuff and then, and then some were were brought in on the spot, um, but a lot of them. The uh, Grand Rapids Public Museum has a mugshot book that is eighteen early eighteen nineties to nineteen thirteen nineteen fourteen, and they're even more. They have like the fancy hats, uh, yeah, super fancy outfits. It it was it, it's we'll, incredible. We'll definitely have to revisit uh, the city arc of uh, the city those books. Yeah. More yeah. than once, I think, oh, yeah. on yeah. this podcast, because they're mm-hmm. a treasure trove of amazingness. Yeah. So are there maybe any women's mugshots in there oh, who yeah. were arrested for, like, protesting or anything oh. like that? Uh, I don't think protesting. I have found evidence that some, if if there was too many women living at one property, they considered it like maintaining a house of ill repute 
What? Um, yeah, there was some there were some weird things that they thought were crimes back then. Like the um, uh, unlawful cohabitation was when two people were living together, but they weren't married, and that was a, that was a felony offense. A felony. Um, yeah. And they said, if you don't like it, let's take a vote on it, and only right, the man's right. voice counted. So right. Yeah, it, it's. I've I've found some. I think the the weirdest crime that I found in the book was malicious destruction of garden, and that was a felony offense. I was talking like about literally talking about that earlier with someone. Uh, there's a you know there's a rage room in Grand Rapids where you can like huh. go in and break things. Whoa. But we were talking about the concept of rage gardening and huh. like destroying a garden and digging things. It was really like weird. Shredding yeah. the carrots. Yeah, leads viciously. <laughs> It's a very strange conversation, yes. but... Uh, I hope you send out invites for folks yeah. to for show sure. up maybe a half hour after that. And then it's just garden fresh salad. So, right. Yeah, <laughs> sounds great to me. Um, but uh, prohibition kind of ties into the suffrage movement as well, because a lot of the pro-suffrage women were also pro-temperance and pro-prohibition, because the um, amount of domestic abuse that was due to liquor kind of tied in. You know, they couldn't change their situation by voting, and so they wanted to change their situation through limiting the amount of liquor that Let's somebody get my could have. Jerk of a husband, sober. right? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so those those two movements really went hand in hand in in some areas. I think definitely here here in Grand Rapids, uh, they were pretty pretty closely tied. Let's talk about prohibition next. Okay. Next podcast. Yeah, that'd be fun. Perfect. Have we talked about the uh, the Grand Rapids press takeover? No, let's do uh, that. very yeah, briefly. Very briefly, very but we yeah. So I th- I think this is one of the cool cooler cooler episodes it was, it was 1914 and um to promote suffrage the uh i think it was the grand rapids uh, equal suffrage club took over took over the grand rapids press and put out a full sunday edition of suffrage articles and articles solely about women's organizations and women in the city they they had like mass meetings throughout the city, so they met at uh, um, Veterans Memorial Park. They they had like thousands of people come to the park. Wow! Um, at that time, it was only called Fulton Street Park because World War One hadn't They're, happened. The World War Two, right yeah, there. yeah. Right, right. Um, and so they had like photos of this in the press, and they had like influential people in the suffrage movement became like the editor for for that issue. And the writers, um, for like sports, they did sections on like women in golf and women in college basketball. And so it was really interesting. And then they had the, they knew it would go to a lot of people. Uh, They had a readership of 70,000 at the time. They were trying to influence the vote for suffrage. And so they published a cartoon of influential Grand Rapids men who were either in support or uh, against suffrage. They had the, a cartoon of a fence, and the the people who were, like, not sure of suffrage were, like, straddling the fence. The people who were for it were, like, on the other side of the fence with, like, their, their hands on their hips and saying, like, what are you doing? Start supporting this movement. And then there was, like, a guy that was, like, just had his eyes peeping over the the other side of the fence who who is clearly supposed to be somebody who was against the the movement 
and it, it had their actual faces. And so people in Grand Rapids would see who's for the movement, who's against the movement in a, in a very comical way. Um, uh, but effective way. Yeah, yeah, very yeah, effective. That's your policy. Mm-hmm. It should be known. Yeah, oh yeah. What, roughly what was the population of Grand Rapids around that time? Because I think that right now, if you looked at the Grand Rapids Press or MLife, I would be surprised if they had anywhere close to 70,000 physical paper subscribers. Yeah, I'm not sure. I I knew I, I know that the city hadn't had the or it, it was in is in the middle of like a, a great immigrant um, influx and the great migration of African Americans from the south were moving to the north. And so I think the city was growing pretty rapidly. I, I think it was over a hundred thousand people in the city, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly. That's numbers. incredible saturation for a yeah. for a newspaper, though. Yeah, yeah. To say we, yeah. we reached three out of four and, residents. And I mean, like, there wasn't uh, other forms of right, entertainment. Right, right. Uh, they didn't have. Oh, well, we talked about yeah. vegetable gardens. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, they didn't have podcasts back then. How are they going to get their news? Oh boy. <laughs> According to the Grand Rapids Press Wikipedia, today the circulation daily is 133,000, and then Sunday is 182. But it doesn't specify whether that is physical digital or, or digital. Yeah. yeah, I would imagine a lot of it's digital now. Or if it, it doesn't, it also doesn't specify whether it's uh, because it's all I'm live. Um, the Jackson Citizen Patriot. Right, right. That's all right. kind of combined into that one building. Yeah. I would see it being Michigan wide, right? That much right. Coverage, but yeah. What else have we not touched on? I thought it was really interesting. There's a couple names in Matthew's notes that uh, have names that you hear every day. Why didn't I get a copy of those notes? Yeah, sorry. I didn't. I didn't send a copy to anybody. <laughs> oh. I briefly glanced oh. over it earlier. <laughs> how, um, how did you get a copy? Well, I got here early. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, well played. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's the name Burton. Comstock. Yeah, em- em- Emily Burton Ketchum, um, Clara Comstock Russell. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of these local area names come from a lot of these these prominent women civic leaders. Are they directly named after them or their husbands or? Probably a bit of both. I w- I would imagine that some of them. Uh, like Comstock was was named for the family that held the land, mm. and so I don't think it's specifically named after Clara Comstock Russell, but maybe an early family member. And then I also saw the name Bliss on there, but it's not Mayor Bliss. Yeah, um, Marion Carr Bliss was uh, a prominent uh, Grand Rapids suffrage leader. Um, she was chosen to be um, one of the members of the American Women's Suff- Suffrage Association members. I didn't find too much out about her, but I also noted that name. I'm not sure if they're related or not. This was, oh, like 150 years ago, so. And we can talk about Mayor Bliss because she is Grand Rapids' only female mayor. That's and true. she is the current mayor mm-hmm. elected in 2016. Yeah. Re elected in 2018. Yeah? No. 2019? I think it was 2019. Yeah. This is, you are right, because we had off, we have off-year elections. Yes. Yeah. So she would have been elected in 2015, but her term started in 16? Yeah, her term did start in 16, but it was, 2015 was... 
I'm very okay with this discussion because this is a history podcast. And while this is technically history, it's like last year history. Yeah. Not like 150 years ago history. <laughs> so we, we have some leeway there. But yeah, Mayor Bliss overwhelmingly uh, reelected to, yeah. to a second yeah. term. 80 some odd percent, 83 percent perhaps yeah. of the vote at that time. She took office on January 1st, 2016. Thank you. And and first woman mayor. I mean, that's that's a that's a huge milestone. Um, I mean, we've had quite a lot of mayors over the years. And and if you think about from 1920 until now, that's almost a hundred years of, of solely male mayors until until Rosalind. Bliss. In in uh, for uh, November, we kind of piggybacked on the Movember. Yeah, I saw I saw those. Those were fun. And and posted, you know, every day a a picture of a former mayor with a facial hair form of some sort. Mm -hmm. And and we did get some feedback about, you know, why you're not posting pictures of women. A, it probably was less common for them to have a mustachioed face. Um, But B, there were she's the first one. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So again, I think that history and that perspective is important to Mm -hmm. to look back upon. Yeah. She's the 59th mayor and also the youngest mayor in 130 years. Wow. Wow. And you are correct. It was 83 percent of the vote. Yeah. I mean, it's taken a, a, a significant amount of time, even even statewide. I mean. 2001 was the first time that uh, a Michigan woman was elected to the U.S. Senate. And that would have wow. been Stabenow? Yeah, Debbie Stabenow. 1950 was the first uh, time a Michigan woman was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives. I'm not going to guess that one. That was Ruth Thompson. Yeah, the, uh, in, in 1921, the first presidential vote was um, James Cox versus Warren G. Harding. And um, Warren G. Harding was... Uh, Found dead in a bathtub. Yeah, yeah. But first he oh, was a fir- first he was a firm supporter of suffrage. And so that was one of the main reasons that he was elected was because that was the first election that women were able to vote nationwide. So it sounds like this obviously this movement had a foundation and, and, and had a process to to get mm-hmm. to before it got nationwide. But it sounds like once it was, things happened relatively and I relatively is a you know, an arguable term, but it happened relatively quickly. Yeah, I, I think in some aspects it was relatively quickly. As soon as Grand Rapids women were able to vote in school board elections, women were ran for school board, board elections and were elected school board elections. As as soon as the 19th Amendment was was passed and ratified, women became a large chunk of the of the voting population, boosting the um, the turnout numbers and. There's a there's a national project right now um, called Her Hat in the Ring, I, I think it is, that is trying to document every woman that has run for public office. And so the Greater Grand Rapids Women's History Council, uh, one of their projects is to is to research that and find every every woman who has run in a, a local school board election, to a city council election. To document that and, and make it available online. It's called Her Hat Was in the Ring. Her Hat Was in the Ring. And there's yeah. a website, herhatwasinthering.org. Yeah. Very cool project. Uh, very cool project. Yeah. Important to capture those details. Mm-hmm. And going back to that, the first governor of Michigan, uh, Governor Jennifer Granholm, wasn't elected until 2003. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So in, in some aspects, it, it took off very quickly. In some aspects, it, it has still taken quite a long. for a century. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of those early... 
voting uh, when when they passed like rural voting laws where women could ro- vote in like a rural school bo- school board election or for like taxes, some of that was still not widespread, um, just because access and knowledge and transportation. Sure. Um, a lot of those barriers still existed. I, I was, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned. Yeah. And some of those barriers may still, still exist, exist today. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And right now, maybe even most relevant is that we've still not had a female president. Yeah, yeah, so. that's very true. We still have a, a long way to go. But I, I, I think the the long process. I, I think looking back, it's so hopeful that we've we've gotten to where we are that we can see that we're going to get there, where right. the those that represent us are truly representative of all all of the population. And I think that's the difficult, I, I feel like we're significantly more instant, instantaneously gratified or want to, to, mm-hmm. to look for that instantaneous gratification. And, you know, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, not knowing if you would have succeeded or will succeed or did succeed, right, I, right. I think would have been even more challenging to yeah. to look on something that you felt very strongly about and mm-hmm. not know if you did anything or not. Right. Yeah. It's it's the, the incremental approach versus the first the instant right, instant right. approach. Let's build a foundation and move yeah. this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's an excellent book um, on that uh, final vote in Tennessee uh, called The Woman's Hour by Elaine Weiss. Um, the Gerald R. Ford Museum had her come and give a program on the book, and it was a really it was really cool. Um, she had all of this propaganda posters that both the suffragists and the anti-suffragists used to try and sway voters, and some of the imagery was really really interesting. A lot of like the uh, the women with uh, like the the flag. Uh, holding the flag and stuff like that. And then the anti-suffragist propaganda was a lot of like, if you go vote, what are your children going to do at home and and stuff like that. And so it was a lot of like... They're 13, yeah. Nancy. They're okay. Yeah, they can yeah, take right, care of themselves. Right, right. Yeah. But that that's a really good book if anybody's interested in learning more about uh, that movement. And the Greater Grand Rapids Women's History Council is uh, always a great source of information on both the local suffrage movement and um, local women's history in general. Jess, any final thoughts? Nope. I guess it didn't have to be a final thought. I, uh, I mean, I've got 80 more pages of notes, uh, as always, <laughs> but uh, I, don't, I don't have any final thoughts. Well, I think that we've come a long way, but there's still definitely a long way to go. And, uh, you know, whether it be in Grand Rapids or on a more national level, I'm excited to see what does happen. Yeah. One of the main reasons or main ways you can affect that outcome is by voting. Voting. Exercising your right to vote. Sure. Which was fought for by many folks, including some here uh, in Grand Rapids. Mm -hmm. And the Michigan primary election is Tuesday, March 10th. So coming up very quickly. So go vote. How do we end this one? Yeah. How do you want to end it, Matthew? Oh, gosh. I, I, just, I don't know. I didn't mind just trailing off. Yeah. Just yeah. kind of. Just chatting away. End it. Or not. Yeah. We can just surprise people with another topic. Did anybody <laughs> bring any uh, ballots? We could, we could start voting right now. Uh, we could. <laughs> I did not. I did I bring my absentee ballot. I was in a rush to, to run away. I don't mind this as an ending. Yeah. yeah.